0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to We Watch Movies, a podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host this week, Elijah, and with me, as usual, is my good friend, Forrest, also known as Mr. Guy. How are you doing, Mr. Guy?
1: I believe you're confusing things. You are clearly Mr. Guy.
0: Oh, that's right. You're Sir Boyo. Sir Boyo.
1: Okay. Okay. Okay,
0: K. Not the K. I've had enough potassium. I had a banana with breakfast.
1: Wow, you've had breakfast?
0: Yeah, that's why I was a little late. Uh, starting
1: early now. No look waffles to look forward to on the other side of this.
0: Eh, waffles are overrated, pancakes are where it's at. That is categorically false. You're categorically false. That makes no sense. I think it does. Anyway, oh, today <laughs> today we're talking about the nineteen eighty-two Ridley Scott classic Blade Runner. And after that I don't know what we're doing because Forrest says he has a quote unquote surprise second segment. Yeah, it's it's not a special segment. You just
1: don't know the topic yet. So that'll be fun.
0: Cool. I hope I don't have to make a list in thirty seconds. Nah.
1: <laughs> fun. You just so, have to be prepared to defend yourself. Oh, I'm always prepared to argue. Yeah, you are. It's kind of like your I was going to say second nature, but it's typically your first nature. <laughs> yeah, I disagree with that, bub.
0: <laughs> Good bad and the ugly, more like the ugly, the ugly, the, the ugly. Am I right?
1: Yeah, that was a bad joke. That could have stayed inside your cranium dome. <laughs> Touche
0: uh anyway <laughs> we have a, an instagram account that is right sometimes and i think it was right this week um it's at we watch movies podcast i think that's it you're correct it is sweet i remembered um you can stop by there to see what we're doing next week Yes, Maybe find out that that's actually not what we're doing because we are a fickle group. Yes. We meaning he
1: and he meaning I. And I meaning both of us. Yes. Which means we. (laughs) Who's on first?
0: (laughs) Okie dokie. Anything you want to say before we start with Blade Runner? This is a good film. Yeah, spoiler alert. We like this one. (laughs) Yeah, we like it a lot. Speaking of spoiler alerts, spoiler Spoiler alert alert. for all of Blade Runner. um,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Highly recommend watching it and then coming back or don't.
1: Yeah, you could just listen us talk about it and then want to go watch the movie. It's basically the same. Yeah, that's right. That's right, definitely a uh, viewer discretion is advised. There are a couple scenes in there, yes, that yep, you might want De- to avoid
0: for definitely. the kiddos, but definitely okay. Now that that's out of the way, let's start it up. Right. Blade Runner is a 1982 film directed by Ridley Scott, written by Hampton Fancher. Primarily, and David Peoples also. It stars Harrison Ford, Rutger Hauer, Sean Young, and Edward James Olmos, Emmett Walsh, right. Daryl Hannah, William Sanderson, Brian James, Joe Turkle, Joanna Cassidy, and other famous people, or slightly less famous people. I would have been really disappointed if you omitted Olmos. Uh, yeah,
1: he's he's awesome.
0: He's also in 2049.
1: He's also in
0: Battlestar Galactica. Yes, that movie that I've seen. It's a TV show. That TV show that I've seen.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> anyway, Blade Runner. I'm really used to saying Blade Runner 2049, so I have to get used to just saying Blade Runner again.
1: <clears throat> Blade Runner.
0: Blade Runner is set in... quote-unquote futuristic los angeles it technically takes place in 2019 but it's meant to be the future um takes place in 2019 los angeles where uh, replicants and humans coexist replicants are uh, basically super high-tech advanced fake humans they're not robots they're organic but they're um like created as for labor off planet. I've and got uh, the uh, film's intro right here. If you mind to read it. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, we we start the movie with a little text crawl. So hit us with <clears throat> it. Early in the twenty
1: first century.
0: Okay, 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 James Earl Jones.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going James Earl, but <clears throat> early no. <laughs> Early in the 21st century, the Tyrell Corporation advanced robot evolution into the Nexus phase, a being virtually identical to a human known as a replicant. The Nexus 6 replicants were superior in strength and agility and at least equal in intelligence to the genetic engineers who created them. Replicants were used off-world as slave labor in the hazardous exploration and colonization of other planets. After a bloody mutiny by a Nexus 6 combat team in an off-world colony, replicants were declared illegal on Earth under penalty of death. Special police squads, Blade Runner units, had orders to shoot to kill upon detection any trespassing replicant. This was not called execution. It was called retirement.
0: Yes. Um, would, I'd like to point out that there is no specific reason mentioned in the film that they are called Blade Runners. It's just mm-hmm. a cool name. You want to name? What? They got that name? Oh,
1: go ahead, sure. It was from work of fiction. It was a sci-fi novel from the uh, I guess I think it was from the nineteen seventies and some one of the a movie treatment for a film uh, adaption and he chose this novel the blade runner i'm sorry i can't remember the author's name and they rejected film but the screenwriters for this saw the title of that film and liked it so much that uh ridley scott took the
0: yeah, it's and a pretty that, awesome. That film day. was
1: about that film was about some and smuggling medical supplies, aka blade running.
0: Oh, huh, gotcha. Well, in this movie, it's just a cool name. Yes. But that is interesting. I didn't know that. Um, so those that's what replicants are. They are almost humans and they are outlawed on Earth. Um, And our story here is that four rogue replicants from off-planet murdered the people on their planet and escaped to Earth in order to find their creator, Tyrell, and ask him to extend their lifespan because replicants have a finite lifespan of four years. After four years of life, they will die. Um, And that's where we kind of start the movie. We have one of these replicants undergoing the voight Kampf test, which is used to determine whether or not somebody is a replicant or a human because they are so alike in this world.
1: Yeah, there are a couple of things that I want to point out before we even get there. And most the biggest thing for me is we immediately see the world has been Revealed to us, the first shot is just this slow opening from black into this massive, scrawling, futuristic 2019 landscape (laughs) of Los Angeles. It's one of the most uh, mind-capturing shots of any film I've seen. It's brilliant. I love it. And you, in the background, you have Vangelis slowly playing And it it shoots Glee to the city in the reflection of an eye. Eyes play a large
0: symbolic role in this film. Mm -hmm. Back to that cityscape. I didn't realize till this viewing that just how big of a role eyes play. Like I knew they were a thing, but there's Mm -hmm. a lot of eye stuff in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's the gateway to the soul.
1: A window to the soul rather window look right in there yeah so we get three minutes uh, it's about three minutes from when the evangelist F- score starts playing we go through the text scroll and then we see the city open up and then we get to what you were just talking about the
0: first Voight comp test yes you can and, and like the opening with the eye uh, it's made apparent that this test somehow detects eye movement or eye reactions to various questions and answers um, to determine the humanity or lack thereof of the subject of the test. And it's clear that this one guy who's being, who's taking the test, his name is Leon. He's a little uncomfortable. And uh, if he's determined to be a replicant, he will obviously be killed on sight by the Blade Runner uh, giving the test. So Leon goes ahead and shoots him before that can happen, which kind of comes out of nowhere.
1: And so in the voight Comp test, it's asking questions to try to evoke an emotional response from the subject so they can determine whether it's a replicant or human.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's very clear by the fact that this replicant is having difficulty processing the questions that he's going to fail the test. It's very clear that he's replicant and he obviously senses himself that he is failing the test because by the second question, when he's asked about his mother in a panic, he ends up shooting the blade runner.
0: Yes. And that is the event that kind of kickstarts things. And we are then introduced to our protagonist played by, Mr. Harrison Ford
1: you know it's interesting when I was kind of doing some background research on this Harrison Ford was not Ridley Scott's first choice he had guys like Al Pacino and Dustin Hoffman all in the role I think Dustin Hoffman had was actually signed on to do this role for a while and then dropped out he was also looking at Clint Eastwood and Arnold Schwarzenegger for the role, which would have been quite interesting, as well as Sean Connery. But after Spielberg, Steven Spielberg's high praise of Harrison Ford's work in Indiana Jones, Ridley Scott
0: signed Harrison Ford on. I think that was the right choice. Ford kinda fits the everyday dude um, feel of the movie. He's just a guy doing his job, he's not some doesn't give off like superstar vibes. <laughs> yeah, at least at this point. Um, but so Harrison Ford is playing Rick Deckard, and he gets a call, or he is basically brought in to the police office, which is his job, and is given an assignment to catch these four rogue replicants. Leon from the previous scene is one of them Um, and they are from, like I said before, off planet and they're here to find Tyrell, their creator and we gotta kill them because they're dangerous.
1: We got another they're great. Uh, while, While Deckard is traveling with Gaff from the restaurant where Gaff picks him up to the police headquarters, we get a nice shot of them
0: flying it's great which looks so good this this movie it's incredible how good it still looks it holds up really well incredibly well like the effects are from 1982 and the model work is just sublime it looks phenomenal that first shot of them on
1: street level with rick reading his uh, newspaper and then getting up to go over to the noodle stand it's just if so real, it's yeah. it easily convinces you they're not on a It's interesting,
0: yeah. There's almost perpetual rain mm-hmm. in this film, and I know that made and it miserable to shoot. <laughs> what
1: I thought was really funny is the reason that there's perpetual rain is Ridley Scott was unsatisfied with the final set because there were a lot of errors and flaws. So he had the rain, not only as an ambiance, but ultimately to blind out all of the errors on the set that he didn't like.
0: Well, it worked because it looks great. Yes. <laughs> um, and just this movie oozes atmosphere. Like Ridley Scott is the master of atmosphere, alien blade runner especially are just you, you feel the world it's the world is a character in the, in his movies oh, absolutely you
1: look at those two films you just mentioned Me, scratch he just builds these two worlds that are immediately full of i was gonna say life but you you know what i meant
0: yeah yeah
1: this should be. This would be a good time to mention that the film we are we watched and are talking about is the final cut of Blade yes. Runner, mm-hmm. not not the theatrical or one of the other five cuts. <laughs> but one of the most one of the stark differences between this cut and the theatrical cut is the there is
0: no narration on the part of Rick Deckard. Yeah. So in the original theatrical cut. I think, it, I believe it was test screenings or something, or maybe even execs who were confused um, about the plot because it doesn't really hold your hand. Um, a lot of right. times you have to pay attention to the dialogue. And they thought that would be off putting to audiences. Um, so they wanted Harrison Ford to record narration to explain the plot. And both Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford hated that idea, but because he was getting paid and it was his job, Harrison Ford did it, but he tried he has said that he tried to sound as bored and uninterested and awful as possible thinking that they wouldn't dare use such a bad take for the final cut, (laughs) but they did. So the narration in the theatrical cut is bad and it's kind of funny. Um, But we highly recommend the final cut. If you do watch Blade Runner, it's the most widely available one now.
1: Though, and this is something we'll get to in a little bit here, is something that
0: Denis Villeneuve
1: has spoken about is that the diff- there is a stark difference in the story that the theatrical cut is telling and the final cut,
0: which is quite fascinating. Yes, definitely, and we'll definitely get to that issue. But where were we? Uh, we get the pretty flying. We get Rick Deckard getting his job and basically now we're on an investigation to find the four rogue replicants. Um, And I believe, I might be missing a scene, but is this when we first cut to Mr. Roy? This is when we first cut to it, I think. I thought so too. So we get to meet the villain played by the late and very great Rutger Hauer, um, Roy Batty. And I think this is his best role. Roy Batty is the head replicant of the rogues and I mean he's just kind of (laughs) crazy in a really awesome way excuse me the performance here is just sublime it's very controlled and menacing but toward the end when things get a little wild he just sells it it's really really good Yeah, no, it's it's
1: great. It's a great introduction to the character. He and Leon mm-hmm. go into this eye designer. He's a genetic engineer that specifically designs eyes, and he they are there to see seek out some information. They're asking questions in regard to Inception Day and long uh, life, longevity, those type of questions, and. Rucker Roy Roy Batty is spouting off poetry. And Leon is, you know, taunting him by, like, putting uh, these dismembered eyes on his, you know, shoulders, and yeah, very much the eye designer. And it's just, it's a fascinating scene. I think it's a great introduction. He's kind of, he's very uh, theatrical, very. Th- I've heard some critics say he overacted, but I think it's—I think it's brilliant for the role.
0: Yeah, it—it it feels like he's trying really hard to be human. Um, like he's just over the top because he thinks that's what humans are like, and he really wants to be a human. At least that's what I get. Right. Yeah.
1: What's next? Yeah, and so the next scene is the police chief. Send over the Tyrell Corporation headquarters because they have a Nexus 6 there that he wants to.
0: And means of Tyrell. Yeah, because the rogues are Nexus 6. Correct. Yep. So he gets there and. There's a brief moment where he sees an owl, which is a replicant owl, which is weird. Um,
1: Which which is told, which is by the fact that his eyes glare red when we pan to him on
0: camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, So uh, Deckard meets Tyrell, who's a very eccentric guy with uh, clearly a lot of money. but kind of runs in a way he runs the world with his replicants um, and he introduces Deckard to Rachel
1: mm-hmm.
0: who is the Nexus 6 in question um, and Deckard runs a Voight-Kampff test on her and discovers well, you're, that-
1: <clears throat> yeah you're omitting one crucial detail is at this point we don't realize that she is a replicant. And Tyrell says, before I supply you with the positive, I want you to run a negative. And Deckard asks him, what will that prove? And he says, indulge me. And then the test commences.
0: Yep. And he finds out she's a replicant. But the interesting thing here, and he learns this from discussing with Tyrell, she doesn't know she's a replicant. She's had memories implanted in her to make her think. She's lived a prior life to all of this which is Mm -hmm. very interesting to think about the morality of um and also just such a weird concept
1: yeah so yeah Yeah. so as you said she doesn't realize she's a replicant and as she she leaves the room so the two men can discuss deckard says tyrell she's replicant isn't she and Tyrell seems more fascinated with the data analysis and asks, you know, how, how, many, how many questions does it usually take to figure someone's a replicant? And Deckard's response is something like, she doesn't know, does she? Mm-hmm. And he, he reiterates the question and Deckard says, you know, 30. And Tyrell says so something in effective, fascinating. It took you about 100 questions, didn't it? So he seems very much more intrigued with the data analysis of this test than the actual any moral quandaries that this raises but he also talks about the reason that they have implanted memories is that they create a replicant and they don't have the emotional cushion that humans have which causes them to be unstable causes them to uh have false reactions to emotions, which is why their lifespan is only four years, because after four years, like, I think they become volatile in regard to how they react to emotion. As displayed in Roy Batty and his his dudes.
0: <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Just a bit.
1: And so and so his his reasoning, he f- he thinks it's more efficient to install and fit memory into these replicants to make them believe. There's something they're not.
0: Yeah. So that's one of the most important scenes in the movie um, from a thematic standpoint and just from meeting Rachel because Rachel's going to be in a lot of this. Uh, so after we visit Tyrell, we kind of... Um, is that when we go to Leon's apartment with Deckard?
1: Yeah, Deckard and Gaff yeah. head over to Leon's apartment, which might be easily missed if you're not paying attention. You see there's a quick cut to Deckard flying in his flying vehicle, listening to a playback of the interview between the first Blade Runner. I think his name's Holden. I may be wrong. It, there. It's Holden, yeah. Yeah, Holden and Leon. And there's
0: a reference to where Leon's
1: staying, and then they head there.
0: Yep. And after some investigative work, they find a weird scale type object. I'm not sure it's revealed to be a scale right away, but um, they find that and we can, (laughs) later on we get uh, an analysis scene of that, but it's just a little investigative scene. Um, Yeah.
1: And it's revealed that the, The scale, as Elijah's mentioned, is a snake scale. And it was sold to, I think the guy's name is Taffy, one of these uh, dance club owners, nightclub owners.
0: Yes. Um, And this trail, this investigative trail, which really is just that we get to watch Deckard investigating, um, leads him to a club, which is the viewer discretion advised scene. Yes. So we meet... This dancer who uses a snake as a prop, and she, um, Deckard meets her in the back and starts like questioning her and interrogating her, and all of that. Um, The scale obviously being from the snake she uses. Yeah. And uh, it's fairly clear she's one of the four replicants. Yeah. Zora, Um, I believe. That's right. Zora. Um, And then we get. Uh, once she figures out what's going on and everything happens we get a little bit of a chase
1: <laughs> yeah you
0: know, I think the,
1: I think the chase is one of them. has uh, it's one of the most tense moments in the film uh, segments in the film I think yeah As he's running through it's very chaotic on the street there are a lot of people
0: yeah this movie is like this is not sleek sci-fi this is dirty sci-fi um lots mm-hmm. of people lots of grime but also lots of neon lights so it's a very pretty dirty <laughs> yeah it's an interesting contrast it is and uh, he... go ahead he's chasing her down and taking shots and all of that and eventually hits the mark as she flies through a window in a very um I don't want to say awkward, but it's a it's a slow-mo shot that was not done in smooth slow-mo. It was just normal footage slowed down, so it looks a little choppy with the frames, but it's cool. The glass shattering is pretty awesome. Um, and she dies.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think it's really interesting that the very next shot is of Deckard, buying alcohol at one of the vendors and buys a bottle of alcohol from the vendors and clearly, and he makes a reference to it a little bit later in the film talking about uh, getting the shakes and it's common
0: in Islam. Yeah. Because like, like it or not, these replicants you're tracking down and killing in cold blood look and act a whole lot like humans. Um, so yeah. it's got it's got to be a really bizarre feeling to be hunting and killing these things that yeah, you 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 know aren't humans but every sense you have is saying that's a human you're murdering these people Right so whether you want to acknowledge it or
1: not there's this subconscious reaction to it that just I mean watching it on screen it looks like a human obviously so it's this it's this excuse me i lost my thought here it's the divide between what deckard knows and what his senses tell him
0: yeah yeah he uh it's one of those things like you can tell yourself over and over that this is my job this is okay they're not humans they're not real people but it's it almost feels like lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that no wonder he has the shakes, honestly. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So that's that is a great little scene you see you mentioned with the the alcohol and then the shakes comment later. It adds a lot. It uses very little to add a lot to Decker's character. Because to be honest, we don't know a Ton about him, as a mm. like just as a person, but it's little details like that that give us insight into who he is. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah. good.
1: <laughs> it, it is, and so I think, kind of backtracking here just a tiny bit is before Decker goes to see Zora at the club. He gets a visit at home by Rachel, and Rachel oh, says. Duh. I forgot about that. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's totally fine. I'll, I can go through it quick so we can get caught up. No. So he visits, she visits him. And initially he, she wants to ask him questions about what Tyrell said to him and he slams the door in her face originally. But I think there's a sense you can see that she's kind of desperate and lost. Mm -hmm. And he says, go talk to Tyrell. And she says, Tyrell wouldn't speak to me, see me. And at that point, he kind of relents and lets her in and talks to her about the conversation they've had. And she's insistent that she is a human Mm -hmm. until Deckard recites to her some of her memories that she hadn't told anyone else. And then makes the point that they're not your memories. They're the memories of Tyrell's niece. And she's utterly devastated. And he has this I, I would say it's a real moment of compassion just a bit too late when he tells tells her, it's a bad joke. I'm sorry, I made it all up. And then he reaffirms it more seriously than sarcastically when he says, no, seriously, I'm sorry. It was all made up. Yeah. to console her by getting her a drink, and at that point, she leaves. And then when Deckard is down at the club, he calls Rachel. On the VIP phone, which is basically a stationary FaceTime, <laughs> and calls her up and asks, offers, you know, asks her to come on down, have a drink with him, and she rebuffs him and hangs up the phone. Anyway, cat to right after where has been killed, and, and the police chief meet up with him on the street, congratulate him on. Shooting the replicant, and he's got four left. Four left at this point. No. Three left. Three left. Three left. Three left. Yeah. yeah. No, no, hang on. We've got Roy, Leon, we've got Chris, and we've got Rachel. We've got, you've got four left. You're
0: counting Rachel now?
1: Well, he, that's, well, that's what the police chief says you just have four left and deck you left and then yeah the nexus that you you scan down at tyrell has gone missing and there's this very visceral reaction when deckard hears him say four and responds no three it's very emotional beyond just confusion like hey no i thought we had three which is obviously how the police chief takes it.
0: Anyway, immediately after that scene, you can pick up if you'd like. Well, I, I, for a second, I want to go back to the Rachel scene at the house because mm. um, like, that. imagine being Rachel in that situation. You've lived... At, well, we don't really know how long she's been alive, uh, but she believes she's been alive for probably what, 20, 30 something years um, with memories of a childhood and people you know and all of that, friendships and that's just ripped out from under you and you're told you're not even a real human and on top of that, you know (laughs) that since you're not a real human you're a replicant, you're illegal you're supposed to be killed on sight that's a pretty big worldview shift (laughs) it's almost as devastating
1: as being your
0: clone almost as devastating almost but, but you know if you found out you had a clone I mean that wouldn't be a huge deal you could just kind of shake no that off deal. and get buddy buddy with him real quick
1: yeah no big deal
0: the movie frustrates me
1: <laughs> has it dropped any since uh, last week
0: no, I'm I'm sticking two and a half stars. It's just because it's it's close to being really good. Mm. I might drop it to two stars. Anyway, <laughs> that's that's a different conversation. Yeah. So the police grab Zora or whatever, and we're on the street, and Leon. It's Leon who does it, right? Yeah, it's Leon. Uh, right. Leon comes out of nowhere and starts threatening Deckard at gunpoint. Um, And after some very tense seconds, we hear the gunshot and Rachel comes in and kills Leon, Mm -hmm. Um, which is pretty awesome. It meant she was going to come down and (laughs) have a drink with Deckard, I guess. Um, And it's, I wonder how she feels about that, because she knows she's a replicant now, which means she did just kill someone of her own kind, right? But yeah.
1: Well, yeah. So there's that fascinating line where, in the, they go back to his apartment, and he says, you know, you've got the shakes. Comes with comes with the job, and she says something like, "Well, it, something to the effect of, it's not my job. I'm the." I'm the reason for the job or something like that. I'm butchering the line, but that's what she says.
0: Yeah. And it seems she's sort of accepted it maybe at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, we we get a nice, sort of nice scene with them two in the apartment. Um, Yeah. Deckard clearly cares about her and after she shoots leon he gets her off the street because he doesn't want to have to kill her and the cops were just there and all that crap um and if you're is this the the final cut scene this apartment scene or is that later
1: where he dozes off yeah well that was earlier in the film
0: oh that was there that was the first one wasn't it yeah yeah we should mention that. Um, <laughs> you grasped uh, over
1: a teeny tiny bit.
0: Sorry, I, the apartment scenes blur together a little for me. Um, earlier in the movie, when we're in his apartment, Deckard dozes off and goes to sleep after drinking. And he has this really weird dream of a unicorn. And right. then he wakes up and we move on. Um, we'll get back to that later. Um, back in the apartment things get a little uncomfortable uh, Deckard seems to I don't know, it weird. it's weird he almost tries to force her to kiss him yeah it's not my favorite scene
1: it's, I mean we can just it doesn't have much bearing on the it doesn't plot other than the two form a relationship and we can just move on from there Yes,
0: it came off a little
1: rougher than intended, I believe. Um, I read he accidentally th- against the wall way harder than it was supposed to. And she got mad at him.
0: Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they hated each other. <laughs> they
1: may have. Harrison Ford and uh, Ridley Scott also were not fans of one another. Good times. <laughs> Good times with Harrison Ford. Everyone loves him.
0: Take it away. Get us out of there.
1: <laughs> okay, so the next... The next
0: sequence we get to, we also
1: have to do a little backtracking here is, well, this whole plot with Deckard has been going on. We've had this subplot play out where I'm going back to the eye engineer. He says he doesn't have the answers to Roy's questions. And Roy asks, who does have the answers? And he says, Tyrell. And he says, well, how do I get to Tyrell? And he says, "You know, go talk to Sebastian JF. Sebastian." Well, several minutes after that, I think thirty minutes, thirty-eight minutes into the film, we see this the shot of this woman walking down the street, and she kind of plants herself outside this rundown apartment building in the trash, and she has this. She bumps into this guy, and they they have this tense exchange, and then they kind of casually uh and he's talking to her and she reveals to him that he doesn't have a home has no place to go she's younger probably early 20s is what she's supposed to be yeah and the man introduces himself as jf sebastian Mm -hmm. news to us the audience not news to her she identifies herself as Pris and he offers to bring her in for the night to get her some food because she's out there all alone. You can, you can tell that he's easily being manipulated here. Yes, very, very even, much so. Even by this point, you don't, you don't recognize that this is one of the replicants. It's, it's, uh, it's easy to gather. He's a, he's kind of a, uh, he's success- He's susceptible to manipulation. he's he's awkward he's quiet he's shy he has this uh, disease called methuselah syndrome where his uh i guess he's aging quicker yes and he's supposed to so he looks like he's mid-aged and he's only 25 and i will say that i think sebastian is the the strangest part of this film for me
0: oh absolutely especially his apartment (laughs) yeah so scattered around his apartment. He's he's like a I don't know. Is it implied he makes them, the toys? He makes these
1: Oh, it's not implied. He says I make them.
0: Yeah. Friends. He, he makes these weird mannequin toy dolls things. And it's it's just creepy <laughs> to be honest. Um, it was creepy. And but it,
1: it's an interesting setting in regard to yes the conversation that arises next but ultimately Priss gets there and stay the I think it's the next day Roy Batty shows up yes and this is after Zora, is, Zora and Leon are killed yeah. and Roy shows up and then where it's revealed I think either he guessed it, <clears throat> excuse me or they they reveal it to him that they're the next sick yes and he makes a comment to them do something and they're here like like what and he says well anything and there's this there's this brief uh pushback on the part of roy saying we're not we're not just cold computers that can make tactical, uh, can make calculations or whatever he says, you know. And Fris says something. That I think she quotes Rene Descartes saying, "I think, therefore I am." But then she proceeds to do a couple tricks for him, right? Which is kind of, mm-hmm. kind of funny. But there's this this subtle suggestion that Sebastian looks at them only from a technical standpoint.
0: Yeah from from the perspective of like a toy maker and their toys
1: right Right. looks at them you know
0: views them no more
1: as nothing more than you know inventions that can be fiddled with and played with
0: Mm -hmm. which is really interesting and that's even though it's creepy that's why the toy maker setting works so well because he is a creator and they're looking for their creator and it's got to be a little disappointing to them to see that this creator views his creation so flippantly and only as toys, not, not something to love care for or care about in any way.
1: Right. And so they, they convince him through again, manipulation mm-hmm. to take Roy to see Tyrell. Yes. And we get to, we get to this, uh, after the scene with Rick and Rachel, Rachel. In, in their apartment, we get yeah. the of Sebastian taking Roy to see Tyrell. Yeah.
0: And this is my favorite scene in the movie. Mm. Um, it's funny. Sebastian is able to get in to see Tyrell because they're playing, Tyrell and him are playing a chess game. Um, mm-hmm. and Roy suggests a move that's an immediate checkmate. Checkmate. Um, and Tyrell is like, wait, hold on, I gotta see you, or whatever, because right. of the checkmate move. So Roy and Pris, this scene is mostly Roy's scene, to be honest. So <laughs> he walks in. Right. Well, I think Pris is not even there. Pris is okay. back at... Oh, yeah, she is waiting for... <laughs> We'll get to what Pris is doing. Um, Roy goes to see Tyrell and they talk and he asks basically Tyrell to extend his life. And um, Tyrell says something to the effect of, I can't. It's in your genetic code to die in four years. Like it's basically saying it's who you are.
1: Uh Right. And then he makes he makes the comment, you know, the candle that burns brightest uh, lasts uh, half as
0: long. Yeah, so implying that he should make the most of his short life. Um, and Roy, and that, yeah,
1: go ahead. There, no, there was an interesting analysis I saw that, you know, talked about how Tyrell was uh, kind of patronizing him. It's talking about how he had done you know brilliant thing extraordinary things in his life and roy admits to him that he had also done some questionable things and tyrell kind of overlooks them by saying the extraordinary things outshine those but it, it was an interesting analysis i have read online that suggested that this made roy mad because those questionable things that he did were to lead him to this moment of trying to seek more life and he was just immediately shut down by the the suggestion
0: yeah yeah and just the dynamic between the two is so interesting because it's i'd imagine roy literally views tyrell as his god
1: um as his maker yeah and certainly where Sebastian views these replicants as toys Tyrell views them as
0: a reflection of himself. Yes. In some ways. Um, But a reflection he can't really alter, he can't change the genetic code. So because Tyrell cannot grant Roy extra life, Roy kills him um, in This is weird to say, but the prettiest series of shots in the movie, I think. Um, That is weird to say. The lighting, the close-ups on Roy as he kills Tyrell. The lighting, the sweat glistening on him, it makes him look otherworldly. And it's, it's it's just a stunning display of lighting and shot composition in my opinion um and the acting Rucker howard it, it's it's a great scene but he basically he kills tyrell by crushing his skull and putting his thumbs through his eyes um interesting uh, production note here yeah uh, i'm
1: sorry i interrupted you no in thought
0: well i just think it comes back to the eyes again where mm-hmm. um this is the creation rebelling against the creator and the eyes, whatever they may symbolize here is how um, the creator dies. And it's like about the most symbolic scene you can get on so many levels. And I'm sure we'll talk about it a little more later and we already have, but that's my favorite scene in the movie. Mm. It's brilliant.
1: Right. And then we, the the comment I was going to make is it's it's an interesting production note is they, they created a $20,000 prosthetic head for Rucker Howard to, of the actor who played Tyrell for uh, Roy Bay to, you know, squeeze his eyes out. Right. And Rucker Howard was having such difficulty with it. He just, he asked the actor who played Tyrell, if he could just perform the stunt if you will on on him so what they ended up doing is they had little tubes that squirt out fake blood from the trifocal glasses that tyrell was wearing it's kind of interesting
0: yeah creative creative effects are fun i
1: just love uh twenty thousand dollars down the drain right there yeah
0: i'm sure that happens a lot in movies (laughs) yeah um but yeah that that's kind of when Roy solidifies himself as the bad guy. Um, He's killed his creator. And I'd imagine from his point of view, like his goal, he, he killed people. He traveled all this way. He searched tirelessly for him so he could have an extended life. And he did not get that. And he just killed his creator so like what does he even have left he's he's expiring soon and i mean that's it he's just gonna kind of snuff out and i would imagine that's very difficult for him to swallow
1: right and this all leads to the climax of the film here so yeah if i may go ahead it Rick Deckard gets a call over the wire that there's been that Tyrell had been murdered, and along with Tyrell, they found the body of a 25 year old Caucasian male, who uh, who's named Sebastian, and they and then the police chief tells Deckard to go over to Sebastian's apartment and search for clues, as you know detectives do, as they do. Yeah, and so he arrives at Sebastian's apartment, and Pris, who's dolled up in makeup, is pretending to be one of the boys of Sebastian, one of these creations. And after, I think, Deckard is doing some investigation, she attacks him, and there's this quite awkward scene of some uh,
0: acrobatics. <laughs> uh, that's probably the weakest scene of the movie from a directing standpoint <laughs> yeah it doesn't help that
1: they had to uh, the individual doing all of the acrobatics was a man yeah dressed up as Pris which must have been fun anyway that, <laughs> that short lived because Decker shoots her while she's doing her acrobatics flippy spinny moves she took too long so she dies yeah. and then, and then show, Roy shows up Mm -hmm. back from killing tyrell
0: and we get literally feral in this scene um Mm -hmm. it seems like batty is like reverting to some primal state he takes his shirt off he howls Mm -hmm. um he clearly he's it's insinuated he's expiring he's his time is almost up he's gonna die very soon um and he goes so far as to stick a nail through his hand just to make sure he can still feel pain, feel something. Right. Um, And we get this really fun, really well done chase like cat and mouse type thing throughout the apartment building. Which
1: While this is going on, Roy is spouting all kinds of poetry and talking to uh, Rick and Rick
0: never says one word to Roy. Mm -hmm. I almost feel like it's because he doesn't want to humanize him, make him easier to kill.
1: Perhaps, though he did, uh, he did talk to Leon to Zora extensively. Yeah, but because fleeing for his life. Yeah. According according to Ruck autobiography, apparently the the climax was going to be this this show between Roy and Rick, with the two of them having some kung fu fight, and Ruckerhauer was very much against this. Again, according to him in his autobiography, and suggested this uh this alternate scene of uh,
0: uh Roy chasing Rick. Yeah.
1: Which plays out much better, I think, than a
0: kung fu it, it fight. It does. It does, because Roy would win a kung fu fight.
1: Um, they wouldn't need to have a kung fu fight. Roy could just grab him and bash him
0: in the head, you know? Yeah, like he could, he would so easily win. Yeah. Um, he breaks two of a Deckard's fingers. That's got to hurt. Yeah. Uh, punches through some walls, sticks his head through some walls. <laughs> um, yeah. But basically, I'll let you take away the climax, but they end up on the roof Mm
1: -hmm. in the rain. Yeah, so they end up on the roof in the rain and Decker tried to jump between two buildings and missed and is hanging onto the ledge of the building and Roy Batty's standing above him and he's talking. He he makes the comment uh, uh, I can't remember how the comment goes exactly, but he talks. He's he says, "Do you feel that? That's fear, and fear makes you a slave." Something to that effect. Yeah. And then, at, literally, Rick loses his grip and is falling. And after he's falling for like six inches, he doesn't fall that far. <laughs> after he's falling for a mile, no. after Roy, Roy, Roy reaches down and grabs him. Yeah, and, and it saves it him. Up, saves
0: yeah. him. And then we get the monologue, hmm. which, I, which I think is
1: one of the best. I actually, I think we've done this before, where we both favorite line of dialogue.
0: Yes. Yep.
1: You will stall for me. I'll look up the whole
0: line. What? <laughs> If you
1: stall for me, I'll look up the whole line right now.
0: Yeah, so we're on this route. There's doves. Doves are there. Those probably mean something. Um, but It's a spirit. <laughs> Batty saves uh, Deckard, and Deckard's sitting there like shocked and t- exhausted in the rain. I've got it. You've done great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> shocked
1: and exhausted, sitting there in the rain, and Roy sits down, yeah, sits down, and just kind of has this moment of honesty with him. And it's kind of him reflecting on his own uh, experiences and his impending death. And he says to, he he says to Rick, and I'll read it now. He says, "I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on the on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched." I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near Tannhauser gate all those moments will be lost in time like tears and rain time to die and then he dies freaking brilliant oh yeah he dies he dies and the dove flies off oh that's his spirit leaving
0: also it's worth noting Rutger Howard wrote that himself (laughs) yeah he was supposed to be a much longer monologue, and he was like, "Nah." And then he made that up, and it was perfect. "Thine
1: tears and rain" is so brilliant. Yeah. all those memories lost, like tears and rain.
0: Oh, his life is just kind of another drop in the bucket. And no matter how much he wanted to leave a mark or whatever, it's it means t- It means nothing in the grand scheme of things, which is very sad
1: I read someone make the comment that the reason Roy saves is so that there will be someone to I like that yeah
0: I like that a lot
1: and also someone else comment that the reason why he he, he rescued Roy is uh, he makes a comment about being a slave and then he makes an independent decision against his programming because he's a combat model to save uh rick which i think it's also interesting
0: yeah i like both actually yeah um and then the rest of the movie there's a little bit more deckard goes back to his apartment and well no gaff he meets Gaff again. Almost the greatest. Um, and Gaff says, I think the line is, um, It's too it's bad you won't too live. Too bad you won't live, but then again, who does?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, great line. So it is a great line. Um, talking about Rachel, of course. Um, so Deckard rushes back to his apartment with Rachel, finds Rachel, and he finds this little origami unicorn, and we haven't mentioned it, but Gaff leaves little origami things in places he's been, and right. yeah, so it's implied that Gaff has been there, um, and chose not to kill Rachel or whatever. Um, but the the main thing about the unicorn, and this is the controversy with the final cut, is we earlier we had that unicorn dream. And according to Ridley Scott, supposedly, the fact that Deckard had this unicorn dream and Gaff folded the unicorn implies that Gaff knows Deckard's dreams slash memories, therefore insinuating that they were implanted and Deckard himself is a replicant. Ridley Scott confirms this. Almost nobody else does. (laughs) Ridley Scott is
1: adamant that rick is harrison ford's admit that he is human that rick is a human one of the writers the screenwriters says that rick is a human and the other says that he wanted it to be ambiguous
0: yeah um what what do you
1: think oh i i think that rick is a human i agree i agree It's an interesting comment that I referenced earlier by Denis Villeneuve. He talked about the the stories. He, he was talking about the struggles, not the struggles, but kind of the process of preparing to write and direct Blade Runner 2049. And he was talking about the two versions of, uh, there are more than two, but the two main versions the theatrical and this final cut. And he says the stories that they tell are two very different stories in the theatrical cut. You have the story of a human falling in love with a non-human and not caring that she's a non-human but then in the final cut you have the story of a man who slowly realizes that learns that he is a replicant yes and then then, that that was that was Villeneuve's uh analysis and he talking 2049 was going to kind of cut it down the middle
0: which it does very effectively.
1: Yeah. Also, a funny note is Ridley Scott confirmed that 2049 would address whether or not uh, Rick was a replicant and Villeneuve at the same time was saying that his movie didn't address that question at all. (laughs) I think it's smart that it did not address that question. Villeneuve approached everything very diplomatically and didn't get into that argument, which I
0: appreciate. Same. But that's for next week. Um, that, that's the end of Blade Runner. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a masterpiece. Okay. Like, what, what more can we say? It's makes you think about so many things. It's beautiful, well acted. Mm-hmm. It's the progenitor of the cyberpunk genre, genre in many ways. It's, which is one of my favorite genres. All mm-hmm. right. Um, yeah, I mean... It's a five out of five for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. So this this film is based loosely adapted from the Philip K. Dick novel *Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?* And I think initially, if I understand correctly, Dick was a, very opposed to the, this adaption, but over time was very much enthralled with it. He ended. He ultimately died before the film was released, but he apparently sung its praises before his untimely death. Or uh, before his death so this film as Elijah said is perfect well not perfect but it's a 5 out of 5 stars for me I think it's very well acted I like the level of ambiguity they give to it there when uh, uh, the paper origami unicorn really funny that in all this ambiguity they do the callback to Repeating almost his line of "you won't live," yeah. which I think is really funny that now we're just pandering to the audience when the film we haven't. Uh, you're cutting out again. <laughs> yeah, I. Th- can you hear me now? I can hear you now.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, all I said was. uh I just finished the sentence by saying uh, I can't remember what I said anymore.
0: Whatever, you can restart wherever you want. Okay.
1: So it's interesting that in a film that doesn't pander whatsoever to the audience, we get that little bit of pandering.
0: But it's fine.
1: It's fine. It's fine. We're not cinemas. We're not cinema sins here. We're not going to fault them for stupid things.
0: five out of five really stupid uh five out of five yeah watch blade runner watch blade runner 2049 too we'll get to that one next week um that's uh, any final thoughts are we ready to move on to whatever the heck is happening next
1: let's move on to whatever the heck is happening next
0: okay what the heck is happening next all
1: right so what the heck is happening next
0: is a brand new segment
1: oh it's called that's controversial Oh, so gosh. I'm gonna make a statement, and it's at least going to be controversial between the two of us. Well, the mass, while the vast majority of the population will agree with me and not think this is controversial, uh, uh, boy, it's a topic here. So I'm gonna make a statement and you're gonna react and we're gonna be fact based on this, okay? So fact I'll fact-based. Fact based. So I'll I'll make my statement and I'll defend it briefly, and then you can offer rebuttal and it'll be some civil discourse.
0: Um, I'm going to say I feel this is a little unfair because I had no warning or prep time. So that's okay. Proceed.
1: <laughs> my statement is this: the 2018 film Solo, a Star Wars story is a bad film and my reasoning for this is that it's a piece of trash i see
0: I very fact-based very good fact very good fact i'll do my best to dispute that fact with this fact it is a good movie with a lot of entertainment value that i enjoy watching more than a lot of the other star wars movies mm, okay that's my fact don't so, do i win oh psh, no absolutely not okay
1: so the 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 reasons I think this movie are extraordinarily bad is the, the inception, the idea of the film to start out with recasting one of the most iconic characters, another Harrison Ford character, Han Solo, recasting him to do a no pun intended solo film with Han Solo starring someone other than Harrison Ford is utterly preposterous to me. It's like that's, Placing Clint Eastwood in the good, the bad, and the ugly. You can't do that, right? So you're immediately shooting yourself in by even thinking of the idea. Because he, it's such a. I thought
0: this was supposed to be fact based.
1: Are you done? <laughs> Continue. It's such an iconic character. That you can't just replace them. And they did as best they could. And the actor did.
0: Alden Ehrenreich. He has a name.
1: don't remember his name. So it's not like I was I wasn't trying to be rude. I just didn't remember his name. I was going to say I think he did a fine job. As good as anyone could do. But it was still not up to par. Anyway, aside from that. We had the directorial issues. The original team of. Uh, what is it? Lord and Miller—is that their names? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they got fired. They got canned. Replaced by Ron Howard. He came in. The production was all up. The acting—I thought Woody Harrelson does not belong in a Star Wars movie. The plot was all over the place. I was kind of plotting. Very boring. They—I guess Miller and Lord's, Lord and Miller's, idea for this film was kind of like a Gardens of the Galaxy esque thing, and it did not play off well at all and especially after Ron Howard took over and kind of did different things with the narrative of the plot. Uh, Yeah. It's just not a good story. It, it, it didn't need to be told. It's, it's not, it, it doesn't add anything. It detracts from the other films for me, the, the Kessel run depicting the Kessel run. I think that was a load of crap. They should have just left that ambiguous and Name Kira Kira is a uninteresting character to me. I will say, I will say one positive is that uh, Donald Glover, right? No, yes, Donald Glover, that's his name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I always confuse him and Danny Glover, and I can't remember which is which. Oh, no.
0: Donald Glover, I think, is a great land of You're correct. He is great as Lando Calrissian, but you're not correct about anything else. Honestly. Um, Is it my turn or do I get to go now? You may speak. Okay. First off, most of the complaints I just heard, weren't even about the movie being bad. It was about the behind the scenes stuff with the movie and the concept of the movie as a whole, without actually judging the movie on its own merits. All I heard about that was the story isn't good without any specific details as to why, as for the concept of the movie. Sure. You're allowed to think they didn't need to do a solo hair, a solo, a solo, solo movie. (laughs) Um, That's fine. If you don't think that, but the fact is they did. And that doesn't make it bad. The fact that this exists doesn't automatically make it a bad movie. Also the but fact the that, fact Harris- that
1: it's, it's a, sorry, I, I need to let you finish, but it's a weak, it's a weak idea to conceive. At its conception, it's a weak idea.
0: So in response- Not the fact to- that it exists, but the fact that it's a poor idea. What, what's a poor idea to do a solo, solo movie? To do a solo, solo movie without Harrison Ford. Without Harrison Ford, that's the key. Okay, so the idea clearly was conceived as a kind of origin story for Solo. If you want to call that flawed, sure. If you're doing a prequel, you cannot have the actor who is now 75 or maybe older playing that character who's supposed to be very young. That's my whole point.
1: They should never have
0: done it. That's not a fact. (laughs) You're just saying that. There's no evidence for that. The fact is that they did do it and they did it as a prequel, which means they can't have Harrison Ford doing it. So they got Alden Ehrenreich who did a freaking great job. He was awesome. As for the story, I don't know what you mean about bad. It's really cool. We get to see how Han Solo got to where he was at. We get to see, a little bit of his past how he met lando that's so cool we get to see kira who i think is really cool Amelia clark was great in this movie we get to see some of the legendary runs han solo did the kessel runs hugely entertaining with really fun um flying really cool moves like spinning around to do the or uh, like uh spinning the tie fighter into the asteroid that's classic han solo stuff that's it's your flying opinion the falcon so was everything you said. That's <laughs> true,
1: that's true. And you're allowed to state your opinion, I'm just saying, pointing out that that's your opinion because you were so...
0: This movie on the surface level mm-hmm. is a fun sci-fi adventure movie. I feel like your problem with this movie is the fact that it is a Han Solo movie. If this movie was not a Han Solo movie and was a fun sci-fi adventure about a group of outlaws doing fun stuff, mm-hmm. I Mm -hmm. don't think you would have a problem with it. And the fact that your entire issue with this movie and just calling it objectively bad,
1: I didn't call it objectively bad. I called it. uh, It's, it's my opinion. Obviously I was being sarcastic about the fact based Uh, stuff.
0: Still the fact that you call it bad just because it's a Han Solo movie, at least that's what I've gathered from your arguments. That's objectively bad. (laughs) Like, you're not judging the movie on its plot and characters you're judging the movie on its concept which is fine if you don't like it but that doesn't make it bad
1: no you're right it is a bad concept but in addition to that i think very poor and i don't think that the if you removed it and made it a generic space film without harrison ford or the link to star wars i think it's a very uninteresting plot and obviously part of the narrative comes from the fact that it is a solo film and that does have to be taken into account and and in regard to some of the things specifically in regard to solo and some of his backstory i think there are some some things that i just don't understand why we needed to get answers to it like when the imperial officer gave him the last name solo that was that was boring. I thought that was stupid. There are other things like I think Woody Harrelson's character gives him his gun. That is all right. That's fine. Is it his gun or his vest or something like that? I can't recall. It's some article. It's that's his gun. Interest. Yeah, it's his gun. That's important to him. And also, there's this overplaying of the importance of those uh, gold dice, which we see very briefly in the original. Trilogy. Now apparently supposed to have some weight. Anyway, some solo. I think the overall story is not that interesting. Why? Right? What's, what's so not interesting heists. about it? Well, I'm about to get there if you let me finish.
0: What's tell me? What's not interesting about it? I don't think the Tell guys, me.
1: <laughs> I'm about to tell you if you'll finish. The heists that they pull off are uninteresting. Very one to do with the on this. It's just, I think it's just generic Hollywood. There's very interesting about it. I don't have any emotional tie to any of the characters. The only emotional tie I would have to any of the characters is so because of groundwork that we're starting off of, of it being a legendary character. And I would have. To and so the character is removed by the fact that it's not Harrison Ford, and again, that goes back. Back, this is a prequel story, and all this cast the character—a bad concept to begin with. But I don't have any emotional tie; that it's just generic Hollywood, and no, no investment on my part to the characters. In fact, at this point in the film, I have a negative reaction because they're just un. Me. I think that's a bad place to start off a film where I'm getting an immediate, and this is obviously just my opinion and how I reacted to it. I have a bad initial reaction to these characters, and that's going to skew my opinion of them throughout the film. And it's very hard to come back from a poor initial reaction, which is why I think that Donald Glover is Lando Cal Rizian. I think his introduction is very good and i immediately accepting of the fact that he is lando despite the fact that it's not billy d williams so like i said i think the that first heist generic hollywood action i think the later heist kessel the, the spice mine i think it's again just generic the the kessel run i have an issue with as a fanboy if you will, because I would have preferred not to have seen it. I would have left, uh, preferred to have left it ambiguous. And it answers that question of, uh, I think, what is it? The, the fact that Kessel is not a measurement of uh, time, but distance and that that is answered. I didn't necessarily need it to be answered for me. And then the other, one of the other, biggest gripes I have with this film is the fact that the landscapes, the the cinematography, I think is very bland. And I, th- I mean that by the fact that many of the planets we get are just, I think the one of the first planets we get when Solo is a an Imperial trooper is just everything, the backdrop is just complete browned out, right? And it I think there are just a lot of locations like that, that everything's browned out. I think the location where we meet land has a very similar effect from Wall and I'll, admit, I'll grant you I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters back in twenty eighteen, so some of those details are maybe a bit blurred and you would have a better recollection. And then, as a, again, as I said, Kira Kira is a character that didn't interest me because she didn't necessarily have any. And and again, you might remember this better. I don't recall her having any real impact on the plot aside from the fact that it's this uh this drive for uh, it was initially a drive for solo to become a pilot and come and free here but then she's freed and so that's fine she kind of turns into this seedy underworld uh leader of some sort and yeah it's just and then uh, dryden voss was i think just boring. And that's my opinion. It wasn't very interesting. Again, I that's, that's not something I can back up with fact. Here's a reason why Dryden Voss was boring and uninteresting. I just, it didn't appeal to me and I've said a lot. So I'll let you rebuttal to some things I've said.
0: Yeah. Um, first off, Kira is a very interesting character because we get this childhood friend with Han um, who they clearly care a lot about each other and just escape this uh, slave camp, this labor camp, together, Um, but then they get separated and it's tragic to see. And I mean, Han probably thinks the worst has happened to her. And when he sees her alive in service of Voss, that's a huge twist because it immediately gives Han a personal investment in this heist they want to pull instead rather than just making money. She sees Kira and Kira joins them as kind of a helper and the team or a way for Voss to keep an eye on everyone, et cetera. Um, And it immediately gives Han a personal reason to be there, which is very important because like you said, otherwise it would just be a heist for money and for glory or whatever. Um, But because of Kira's presence, we have stakes because we saw their relationship from earlier in the movie and how much they care about each other. And the fact that she's not only just working for Voss, but like she's in with Darth Maul, that's nuts. Um, Mm. And that is, that turns a small side character who was really initially there to be a personal investor for Han into a whole character of her own, where we immediately want to know what the heck happened between the time Han lost her and he found her again, what the heck happened? How did she get screwed up and all of this? And that's really interesting. Obviously this was going to be fleshed out in the Planned trilogy, which we're not going to get anymore, which really breaks my heart because it would be a blast. Um, as for the action scenes, I can sort of sometimes understand the genericness, but I, I think I think instead of calling it generic Hollywood action, you might call it generic Star Wars action because it's, it's blaster fights and things we've seen in Star Wars a million times, but there are unique twists. I'm not going to say it's the most innovative Star Wars action of all time. No, I'm not going to be crazy like that, but we get a really cool speeder chase. We get a, like a land speeder chase, and I know we've had speeder bikes, but we've never had... A full-on land speeder chase and it's really fun to watch han drive through this weird rainy industrial looking city it's a really fun setting we get the cool magnet train where they have magnet boots on the side of this huge train going through these glacial cliffs having firefights with enemy guards and droids that's awesome it's so fun um, that whole train heist by the way is like that's a blast getting the coaxium from the train super fun I love the side characters too even though we get little screen time from the crew members other than Woody Harrelson um, and John Favreau's little forearm dude you do feel something when they die and it, it's fun it's not fun to watch them die but um you, you I at least felt a little bit at least seeing Woody Harrelson's character's reaction to their deaths I could tell he cared about them and was in with them for a while and that that got something going um as for the the camp or not the camp the action scene kind of on the i don't know what it was called the planet with the droid rebellion and all that and the the wookies and stuff um castle was that castle
1: yeah that's why it was the, the spice mines of castle the castle run it's right especially
0: uh, um yeah that was nothing spectacular but we got some nice fun long shots of the blaster fights and gets to see kira doing some cool stuff um so i enjoyed it like you said i don't think either of us or really even any major haters of this movie can complain much about lando donald glover absolutely knocked it out of the park um and then the uh the closing action with um Voss and Kira and Solo and the double crossing and Woody Harrelson's character. Like it's really, I think they pull off a fun tense standoff scene with the, and then they get our pseudo lightsaber fight, which you always got to have. It's, it's just fun, entertaining action. I'm not trying to say this movie is some masterpiece, but I, I can watch it and just be really, really entertained. I think it's a blast. I, I get that some people have issues with the film conceptually and like, I accept that. That's fine. I just personally don't have those issues. It's one of the most watchable recent star Wars movies. It has characters I can invest in personally. It's way better than rogue one. It's better than rise of Skywalker for sure. Um, It's probably on par with force awakens, not quite last Jedi level for me. Um, it's just, it's a blast. It's, I just have fun watching. It's also funny. There's some really good quality humor in there, I think, especially with Lando and Han. But mm. yeah, it's just hugely watchable. I also yeah. like the the start of the rebellion with the cool masked girl. I forget her name. She's cool.
1: Yeah, so let me, I'll let you have the last word here, but let me just offer a response to some of the things you brought up. It's interesting that you brought up that you place this above Rise of Skywalker and Rogue One. Those are two films that I didn't, especially have like. a lot of issues with Rise of Skywalker. I still think this is that film was a lot better than Solo, and this this can this is just my own thing. But I have a hard time viewing this as like, it so bothered me. It was the only film that only Star Wars film I ever really disliked. So I have a hard time rating on my standings for the all film I want to talk about a couple of the characters the the droid the droid that you brought up I think Lando's companion I don't want to say unnecessary because the fact that all of the droids I guess could technically be unnecessary in all the Star Wars films but they it being a Star film makes it a necessity to have a droid in some capacity I just thought the the with the freeing this the the droids and that that droids, you know, this this whole narrative of I guess droid rights, that that kind of thing. It just didn't vibe with me. It kind of felt thrown into a story that was, in my opinion, just a maybe a bit convoluted. And then also we get to this into this convolution we get to the start of the rebellion thing with this girl that you just referenced however this the inception of the rebellion is something that had been played out very much so in star wars rebels which is the animated tv show which i grant not many people have watched but that that whole idea of the rebellion beginning is covered in that show and that girl is nowhere to be found in that show so it was just uh, it was tacked on in my opinion it, it it she i'm not quite sure why she was there she didn't really have much bearing on the story
0: to me and then well, that, that, that that one is a fair argument yeah especially with rebels i haven't seen rebels but i trust that you have i know you have so yeah. that that's fair yeah and so
1: and so we we have that character, and I guess one could make the argument: well, people haven't seen rebels, so it's it's cool to see this in action. You know, realization of maybe the inception of the rebellion, and obviously there may be different you know, rebellion seedings. Then we that's fine if you make that argument, and I, and I know you're not Elijah, but then you have the of. Darth Maul as a cameo at the end there and anyone who's not seen Star Wars the Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels and has only seen the films is utterly lost and confused as to why the guy that died by the hands of Obi-Wan Kenobi and the Phantom Menace is now alive. That is utterly stupefying, if you will, to people who have not even paid attention slightly to the Clone Wars or Rebels. So you have to grant the existence of those shows this to makes. And then we get the very much a uh, little bit of uh, playing to the audience when he, for no reason, yeah. uh, opens up his lightsaber. That, that really bothered me for some reason, because it was so unnecessary. It was just like a, Oh, I'm Darth Maul. Watch me going to turn my lightsaber on. It was just not good. I don't oh, also man. I could also, watch
0: Darth Maul turn on his lightsaber all day.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> also the inclusion of Darth Maul into the story when his story is pretty well wrapped up in Clone Wars and Rebels was weird to me. Because now now you've got this brand alternative of what Darth Maul is doing and we don't really have any we're not going to have any of that though. So,
0: Yeah, I, again, I I wish we could have gotten the next movies. I really, really do. I wanted to see what's up and if they, if or how they would tie it into the shows, um, I get that there are definitely some gaps between the shows, which are confirmed to be Canon and this movie. And that's, that is a fair argument. I'm not gonna detract from that. Um, I, I don't think it would have been, it would have been stupefying if you hadn't heard anything about the shows, but I also think it would have been like, Whoa, what the heck? He's still alive. That's awesome. I love Darth Maul. Um, at least that's what I may have thought again, different people would have different reactions. Um, but for me, it really just comes down to as a movie individual by itself, unconnected from everything else, which I know isn't totally fair because star Wars is about connections. Um, it's just, it's just fun and entertaining, and a movie I could watch almost any day. No questions asked. You want to watch Solo? Yeah, that's a fun movie. I'll watch Solo. Um, I just, I enjoy it every time I see it. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's just probably a film I'll, I'll, I'll never watch again, unless I'm forced to. So Maybe I'll pick it. Uh, the answer to that is uh, no.
0: <laughs> but that, that was a fun second segment. I'm not going to lie. I like arguing. Yeah, you do.
1: Yeah, you do got a little fiery there a little toasty so angry
0: yeah where like a do well, done hmm. well done steak
1: well done steaks are not supposed to be well done
0: medium rare is where it's at
1: yeah, that's right a medium rare steak is a well done steak if it's called well done it's bad it's called
0: rubber uh, anyway any, any last thoughts or are we good to wrap it up well what what do you film solo? Sorry, what is that? How would you score this film solo? Yes, I believe I have it at four stars, maybe three and a half. I can't remember. Wow,
1: okay, I've got a half star, so obviously we disagree just
0: a little greatly. bit, <laughs> a point or two. All right, honestly, wrap it up here. Honestly, yeah, honestly, go ahead. I kind of want to watch it again, so I might watch it sometime soon. <laughs> Good, then you'll realize how much trash is in that film, it's totally, garbage totally. Totally. you're right
1: get us out of here i'm done i want to go eat fair enough
0: uh <laughs> that's it next week we're doing blade runner 2049 and who knows what we'll do after that uh, so we will see you i then. do <laughs> he always knows i am usually told the day before um would you like to tell the people what's the second segment next week
1: oh uh, i don't know yet we'll figure it out
0: well okay then uh <laughs> Blade Runner 2049, that's for sure. Uh, I have been Elijah, he's been Forest. You guys have been beautiful. And this has been We Watch Movies. See you next time.